So uh, welcome to episode two of Music for the Quarantine Soul. My, my partner there, Clifton Flett, is with us. Here we are. And uh, we are, don't worry, folks, we're not in the same place. We are quarantined, isolated in our own homes. Uh, and we have uh, Tracy Arisco, former Dauphinite, uh, joining us for episode two. So welcome, Tracy. Thanks. Evening, everybody. I felt it was safer to quarantine from Las Vegas, way farther away than the rest of you. So oh, thanks wow. for joining. Well, if you think it's safer there, you go right ahead and keep on thinking that. <laughs> I have a 75-seat call center all to myself. I am yes, quarantined I AF. You there you have, go. Uh, you're, you're well, and you've got uh, food for three weeks, you told me there the other day. Yep. You're in good shape. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So we're going to get right to uh, the music here. Um, yes. Tracy's given us five uh, wildly different albums than what Clifton and I are used to listening to. Isn't that right, Clifton? It, it, it sort of is, yes. I've been meaning to get into one of these albums for the longest time, and uh, I'm kind of thankful that uh, this came along and I was able to get a chance to listen. Awesome. So we're going to let Tracy decide again what we, uh, what we talk about. Okay. So I approached the five album choice around what am I already listening to? Because I've been quarantined for longer than those of you in Canada. We've been under self-quarantine here for almost a month, and I have been solo quarantined for almost 14 days. I think I'm on day 12, although I'm struggling to count the days. And I went through (laughs) and thought, what am I listening to? Digital music has given me all kinds of opportunities, but what do I keep going back to? And I think I want to start with Megan Trainer. Okay. So Megan Trainer's album title from 2015 one of the albums that i keep going back to when i think about what am i doing outside of sitting in my house i'm running all right music is a huge part of running for me um running is my stress release but i know that there's a lot of days that i just don't want to do it Uh, quarantine can kind of get you down megan trainer speaks to me for a lot of reasons. I think that the biggest piece is that all of the stuff is upbeat. There's a couple of slow songs in there that she throws in, I think just for added value. But when I look at the song list, I'm constantly going back to that as what we call running power songs. So it is not uncommon to see me at the street corner, uh, you know, sort of dancing and singing while I wait for the light to change to something like um, watch walk of shame or lips are moving. So I keep going back to it over and over again. And I think as well, the year this album came out, I was struggling to make a ton of pieces in my life fit. I was a full-time working mom running a business. I lived in Dauphin and was managing my family home and remote. And this was a female empowerment album that came out at the right time at the right place for me. And I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons it has stuck in my mind. So it's, uh, it's something that speaks to you personally about uh, that year and your state of mind and just sort of uh, everything kind of fits. Yeah. And honestly, she's just a lot of fun. Cool. Okay. Uh, so this was my homework to listen to uh, and not one that I would normally pick up. I might've heard my daughter listening to it, maybe a song or two. Um, and, and it was her major league label debut. I found out when I, when I looked yep. it up. And she actually won a Grammy, not necessarily for the album, but she won the Grammy for Best New Artist in 2015. Yeah. I think she came on the scene as someone very different. She's not a typical model. She has never uh, 
um, made bones about the fact that she is not a size two. She doesn't fit the mold of, of the music uh, superstar scene. And I really liked that about her. Cool. Awesome. I've heard the song all about that bass, but I didn't know that that's what I was going to hear when I listened to the album. I'm like, oh yeah, I know this song kind of thing. Um, And now did you know, Tracy, that she actually shopped that song around to various people and Beyonce of all people rejected it. So I didn't know that, but I did know that she released a ton of, I know these are called studio albums. Uh, I don't know if they call them independent albums. What do they call them before you are picked up by a label? She had a ton of music out before this debut album. Yeah, this was, uh, this was, uh, she had EPs or extended plays, which is like a four or five kind of song album, yeah. all independent. Am I right, Clifton? I got that terminology right? Yeah, more or less demo. You have those yeah. songs that are out there and you're waiting for them to get picked up. Yeah, and it kind of sounded like, and I could be wrong about this, but it kind of sounded like all of these songs had been, or at least a good number of them had been released on EPs. Uh, and then she sort of packaged it all together in a sort of a formal debut album. Uh, yeah. I, and when I was reading about it, I was talking about all the different styles that you hear, and I, I definitely heard them. I was glad that I read that ahead of time, actually, because I listened for it. There was the one song that definitely reminded of, like, doo-wop kind of stuff, like, from the 50s. Uh, I did hear hip-hop influences. I hear that Caribbean influence as well. So when I started listening for that, it, kinda, it was more interesting for me. Yeah, she's got an eclectic ability to do a number of different things, which is what makes me, I think, be able to listen to them over and over and over again. It's not like listening to Nickelback, where every song sounds exactly the same, and you don't know which one you're actually listening to. They did not make my list, spoiler alert. Oddly enough, yeah. We haven't had, no one has picked Nickelback yet, but yeah, we're, we're, we're willing to listen to anything. That's for sure. John Legend's on a track as well, so I listened for that. Yep. I don't remember which track number it is, but that was kind of interesting. Uh, do you find, let's go back to the running bit there. Cause when I was doing some running years ago, I remember you could look for songs with certain beats per minute that kept you at that running pace. So maybe is this an album that has that the right uh, beats per minute for you? Do you think? Or? So it is for sure. There's a few albums that I use for running, but this is the one I come back to the most of all, but it's more, I don't think it's the beats per minute as much as it is the, she strikes me just as a get it done. And so when I'm lagging in a running time, I know that if I flip to a Megan Trainer song, it's going to bring me back to where I need to be in my pace. And, I, and maybe it is beats per minute. I never really thought about it that way. I thought more about the words and the high energy that she puts out there. Right. Awesome. Okay. Hey, let's, uh, let's move to uh, one of Clifton's homework pieces and see. we'll see if this week he did his homework. I don't know. Ooh. I never do my homework. <laughs> Homeschooling. It's the way it yeah. is now. I'm a fly by the seat of your pants. I know you are. I think this is going to be the ongoing joke here. I think I kind of like those ongoing jokes. So, well, regardless, let's pick a Clifton one then. What is it? Clifton was supposed to. (laughs) Okay. Well, you said you wanted to listen to this. You said you wanted to listen to the Miles Davis song. So Tracy's picked Ah. Davis kind of blue from 1959. Yes. And I, and I did listen to it. And um, (laughs) there's only five songs on it. There is, but they're like eight, nine, ten. Yeah, they're long. Yeah. Uh, they're long minutes. And you know what? I the one thing that uh, kept on getting to me was listening to the to the album was how it reminded me so much of uh, TV shows from when I was a kid. Oh yeah. In, oh, interesting. In, in particular, uh, like, uh, Charlie Brown. Um, <laughs> you know, kind of like when they're walking to somebody's house. 
Yeah. And there's just some jazz bit going on in the background. And I, I just couldn't get the picture out of my head. There probably was. I bet you if we looked that up, I bet you there was some. Yep. some uh, Sesame Street, I think the same thing with Sesame Street. They used jazz music to kind of in between the parts where there wasn't really any talking. And uh, um, it, I couldn't take my head away from those images. Uh, but I've been listening to jazz since I was a kid and I had no idea. So I've been working on jazz for the last couple of years. One of the upsides of living in Toronto is that the live jazz scene is huge. Every night of the week, you can go to a different jazz venue. Um, I spent a ton of time at the Rex, a ton of time at uh, Horseshoe Tavern, which is one of the iconic Toronto music spots. And I've always found jazz to be hard to listen to in that you kind of settle into a groove and then all of a sudden I feel like I'm in a basement cam with our kids back in the day when they really didn't oh, know yeah. how to play well. And yeah. all of a sudden nothing meshes and nothing makes sense. <laughs> And it's super challenging for me. It sounds like the kids when they couldn't play music. That's yes, that's how jazz sounds in its in-between moments for me. You get this really great melody and it, it moves along and you kind of feel like you're rolling with the waves and then all of a sudden yeah. it smacks you in the face. People pull in different directions. Yeah, so I've spent a ton of time. My Sundays now are jazz Sundays. Um, okay. Sunday is my long um, outing day where I social distance myself in the only urban park left in Nevada that is open and I just keep coming back to this one. Uh, Freddie Freeloader is my favorite on this album and it just, I don't know, just sort of speaks to me and makes me lean in. I'm pretty sure I asked uh, both my kids if they played Freddie Freeloader in jazz band here at school and uh, one of them thought yes. And yeah. The other wasn't sure and I'm pretty sure that I've heard that before. Well, this album actually has a legacy edition um, album okay. to it as well where there are probably four, three or four different versions or maybe extended play or bits and pieces that they've changed in each of these songs, which I don't find them. I don't, I don't like them as much as I like the original album, but there is uh, a, a legacy edition that I listen to sometimes. Right. Uh, so I did a little homework too, because I just, I, that's me. Uh, trust that's, issues. That's, that's you. No, no, it wasn't trust issue. I, well, I only listened to one or two songs and then I, I had to move on, but um, it is regarded by many critics as one as the greatest jazz album ever uh, yeah. recorded. Um, number 12 on Rolling Stones magazine's list of 500 greatest albums of all time, not just rock albums, but albums of all time. So, um, mm -hmm. and, and interesting, and you'll love this part, Clifton. Apparently, uh, there was almost no rehearsal ahead of time. Uh, well, that's what I wanted to jump in and say. Oh, okay, yeah, give her that. Other than, other than, you know, that it took me back to, you know, reminiscing about listening to jazz as a as a kid but um i actually i watched the uh, the netflix um uh, miles davis doc and uh it, it shows them going into these these albums in particular this one and and how he comes in with just uh scraps of paper uh like an idea ideas he doesn't have any of this music written out uh but he comes with an idea he gets these guys to like you know just play just feel it and uh and this, it, it, like they're just jamming, and it's it's one of the things that uh, I, I just love doing as a musician in, in in my own world is, you know, let's just play something, see how it feels, and see where it takes us. And uh, it's amazing that they that's all that they did it was got to you know they got together, they did that, and to come up with you know one of the best uh, jazz albums of all time. 
And that's what I find the hardest about it, Clifton, that there is no plan. Jazz mm -hmm. doesn't have an order to follow. You can't hum to it, sing along. You can get some of it down, but yeah, if you listen to jazz live, every time you listen to the same song, it's a little different. Mm -hmm. Everybody, uh, you know, is doing the improv. Yeah, and I, I that's and that's where I tended to go to is like, where is he? Where is he going now? What's he going to do now? You don't you know, know what's coming around the corner in jazz, just no. like the current no. state of uh, affairs. That's right. It's a surprise. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm actually worried after discussing this. I'm worried about the next time Clifton and I get together to play is that he's just going to go off and changing the key and. and I, I do it subtly these days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, are you guys ready to move on here? Or? I think we can move on. Okay. I, in no particular order, I've just got him up here. Uh, let's, uh, let's look at the David Bowie album. How's that? Oh, David Bowie. So I had a hard time with this one. Bowie was going to make my list no matter what. I actually... Do admit that I surveyed the tracks from the Labyrinth album that he put out with the movie. Oh yeah, and I loved that movie. And when I went through the list of both the albums, this one spoke to me a little bit more. David Bowie reminds me of being an awkward teenager. I didn't fit in really well. I kind of skirted the edge of a ton of social groups. I grew up moving every single year. And so I was always meeting new people, having to put myself out there. I think a lot about how that shaped me as an adult. But when I think back about David Bowie, he was this, I don't know. I keep coming back to the word eclectic. It seems to be on my uh, yeah. list of words I'm using a lot this week. But he was out there and different. Mm -hmm. And I got introduced to him by, of course, like every teenage girl, a boy. <laughs> and... When we talked music, he just kept bringing me back around to Bowie. And I kept saying, oh, this guy's kind of weird. He dresses yeah. odd. And the more we listened to it, the more it grew on me. And interestingly, Let's Dance, which is one of the iconic songs from that album. When I listened to it as a teenager, I just thought they were talking about dancing. But if you do a little research, they talk a little bit about how that song was really written as sort of metaphorical or conceptual dancing that people do in their lives. How oh. they maybe pretend to be one thing while doing another. So that concept of acting happy when you are not mm. is a little bit of uh, some of the background reading that I did when I started thinking about Bowie again recently. And that, I thought that was interesting because I think right now that speaks to a lot of what people are doing. Absolutely. In fact, uh, there's a, a CCR song, uh, Have You Ever Seen the Rain? Yeah. Which is very similar. Uh, it's about... Um, the sunny days that everyone thinks that the band's going through, but it's all the turmoil in the band. And uh, Clifton and I, we played it there, tribute night there a few, a uh, couple months ago. And it was, I thought very appropriate for this day and age when people put on this facade of uh, mm -hmm. happiness and whatnot. And, and it's uh, maybe turmoil inside. Yeah. Well, and this album was uh, included modern love, which is David Bowie's real first dip into sort of that pop culture music. Mm -hmm. So his style started to change a little bit at this album. And I really didn't listen to a ton of his music after this one, but I mean, Modern Love is probably on every road trip playlist I've ever made <laughs> since I was in middle school. Right. You know, I did some reading about this one too. And Bowie actually said that he felt uh, kind of hamstrung by this album because it was so popular that he felt like he had to uh, create 
more like it. And he really wasn't interested in that. And he kind of, he calls it his, uh, the Phil Collins years is what he calls it. Uh, <laughs> I am a little partial to Phil Collins in the eighties. So those, those mid eighties kind of thing. So uh, this album was nominated for album of the year in 1984, but lost to Michael Jackson's thriller, which of course is huge kind of thing. Right. Also uh, with, with modern love, um, that's the first track and the very first, like the intro to it is actually, and I, I did not know this, but it's, it's Stevie Ray Vaughan. It is. Yes. And there's, there's a lot of Stevie Ray Vaughan on the album and uh, they call it, uh, it's a, it's a mix between this uh, Texas blues and this uh, contemporary uh, pop uh, rock. And uh, so I wonder, I wonder why now when you say, you know, how, how was he supposed to, you know, go on from this when they, they created this fusion of Texas blues and contemporary pop. And, uh, uh, but uh, you do hear uh, on a few tracks, uh, Steve Ray Vaughan and, uh, and his guitar and it, it, listening to the album. Uh, it's, it's, it was uh, neat to, you know, see the beginnings of him coming out and, and making his way through the music industry to who he ended up being. Absolutely. I know if you, if you know that story about Stevie Ray Vaughan and you go back and you listen to it and you listen for Stevie Ray Vaughan, I, I listened to a few songs today. And I was like, wow, this is, you can hear him like that. You know, he's one of those iconic sounds. You just know, oh yeah, that's Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. yeah. The, one, the one you want to key in on is, is that opening riff to Modern Love. And then after you listen to that, then uh, you throw it to uh, Cat People uh, yeah. putting out the fire. And he's all over that track. And I don't think that I've ever been anywhere where the beginning of China Girl has played and, and everyone I'm with doesn't know exactly what it is. Yeah. Actually, uh, this song I read, I didn't know this, uh, China Girl was actually written by Bowie and Iggy Pop much yeah. earlier, 10, 12 years earlier, and was on an Iggy Pop album. I meant to look it up actually to find out how it goes, but it uh, was reworked completely for this album. I actually had this album on vinyl when I was a kid, and then when I got rid of my vinyl, it disappeared, but I just got it back. So. This is the one piece that I would say I had on album, cassette, CD, and now digital format. I think everything else, you know, a lot of my music came in after um, LPs weren't really a thing and I don't go backwards, but I had this one in every format you could get. Right. Awesome. Well, that's a great pick. Yeah. yeah, it is a great pick. Okay. What we got? We got two left. Let's, let's leave the controversial one to the end. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I know that we're going to have to talk through my, my concept uh, there. So, okay. So let's talk Ed Sheeran. Okay. Uh, so Ed Sheeran, was not something I ever thought I would like. When Ed Sheeran first came on the music scene, it was, I listened to Ed Sheeran because my daughter listened to Ed Sheeran. And she was at that age where she still thought I knew everything and I liked that. <laughs> and music was a way that we connected a little bit. It's the first concert that I took um, Anna to. And in fact, I went with Tannis and Alexa. Cam. Oh, yeah. Tannis, Alexa, I I Anna that, and I yeah. went to see Ed Sheeran in Winnipeg. And it was... I think an evening that we all look back on really fondly, the right. girls standing outside at the end of the concert, waiting for Ed Sheeran to show up and assuming for sure he was going to rock right by them. <laughs> well, because we got so lucky, uh, I took Anna and, and my daughter Alexa to a concert, a festival in, in uh, Calgary. And we got super lucky where we saw the, uh, the Lumineers and somehow they just appeared right behind us. So, of course, they actually assumed that would happen at every concert they went to. Yeah, it did not happen, just just so we're clear. But when I look at this album, 
the reason that it keeps coming back for me is it's, it's all storytelling. Every one of these songs, and I think lots of songs are that way, but for whatever reason, in this album, all of these songs are touching me in different ways. So I look at Shape of You, which is, uh, again, one of my running songs, but more so just an interesting, I mean, it was written, I think, as a love song, really, but it's so upbeat that I don't think of it that way. I think of it again, we go back to that concept of uh, Megan Trainer and her women empowerment and how she didn't have to be a specific way. This song speaks to that as well for a lot of women. And I look at uh, Nancy Mulligan, which is a story about Ed Sheeran's parents and how it speaks to how they met. And I'm sure lots of that is maybe made up. I haven't really done the background on it, but there's a story to be told. Um, Barcelona is a song off this album that I'm listening to a ton right now because it reminds me of a happier place. Oh, yeah. So right now, right, we're quarantined, we're stuck. I'm living in my office. Super fun, by the way. I'm learning how to cook in an Instant Pot. Great fun. <laughs> But when I think about things that I want to do when all of this is over, going back to Spain and spending more time in Barcelona comes up a lot. And so when I hear this song, it makes me think about my trip out there a couple of years ago. And that puts me in a much better mood. Uh, Supermarket Flowers on this album is um, poignant and tells a story of uh, the death of a loved one, which I absolutely can relate to and that's the one song out of all of these that probably turns me into the biggest girl and makes me cry <laughs> okay definitely you could definitely sense the personal um connection that this album has for you yeah and honestly he's a phenomenal performer i don't do a lot of concerts uh cam and i um share the background history of head injury and so i gave up music for a long time i wasn't able to listen to sound for a number of years and that's probably what got me into that miles davis album just jumping back to that for a second because there's no sound other than the music right and for a long time managing sound and lyric wasn't a possibility for me and so this album probably came out around the time where i was really getting back into music in a big way and was one of the first concert i concerts i'd gone to in years wow cool since, since, he went, since he went back, just to cut in, mm-hmm. yeah. what would be like a, a deep cut off of that Miles Davis album that you would suggest? You know, everybody's going to listen to this song and that song, but... Um, yeah, so I think that for me on the Miles Davis album, I think they're also known it's hard to pick a deep cut, but I would say... Probably, what would be the least well-known on that one? Um, If I was going to talk to someone about what they should listen to, probably Blue and Green would be the one that maybe would be the least well-known. Everybody talks about Freddie Freeloader, and that's certainly not it. So probably Blue and Green would be the one on that, what I would consider the, the deep cut. And I had to look that up, by the way, what a deep cut was. Thank you for prepping me for that. <laughs> because Sorry, I yeah. did look. No, I looked it up. <laughs> that's a good tip for future guests. I'll have yeah. To- yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, what about Bowie then? The, I mean, everybody knows Let's Dance. Everybody knows Modern Love. Yeah, I would say Bowie for a Criminal World. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone talk about that song. It doesn't speak to me particularly. I don't love it, but I would say if I had to choose a deep cut, it'd be definitely that one. Okay. 
Now the Ed Sheeran album has it. I was listening, I was making breakfast the other morning. I was listening. I was like, holy cow, is this album ever going to end? It just seems to go on and on and on. It's <laughs> a song that never ends. Where are those girls? <laughs> but, but they're short. They're, they're, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and this, he, he won a Grammy for this album, Best Pop mm-hmm. Pool 19 or 19. <laughs> 2017. <laughs> Showing oh your age there, Mr. Bennett. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he does. He, he is sort of fusing Celtic folk, is he not? There, yeah. there was yeah. a ton of different sounds, and and I was shocked when I looked up who's playing on the record on the album. And like literally, I had to scroll and scroll and scroll. He's got like uh, just a phenomenal number of, of musicians. Eric Clapton on one track. Yeah. Uh, Pino Palladino, the bass player, new bass player for the for the Who plays on there. John Mayer as well. Um, so I've, I've, yeah, he collaborates extremely well, and the more his music came went on after this album, even you can see it even more. So he's collaborated with more and more really interesting performers. Mm-hmm. And I'm terrible at knowing who does what, but there is a ton of sound that comes into his music that you would never see someone be able to do if they, again, like comes back to all of my all of these albums that I've chosen have really different sounds on them. So apparently, I like that. I'm interested in knowing because like you're, like you've said, very true. There's, there's so many different sounds you hear. Uh, how, how does he pull this off in concert? Singly. So he doesn't play with a band. He plays with a ton of electronic music pieces. So you'd have to know more about music to know exactly what he was doing, but he's got the things that they're on the floor that you step on yeah. and he creates the track and then he sings into it and plays it back and steps on it again and creates layers upon layers of sound. Mm-hmm. So he's got a looper. The there looper. you go. Yeah. Looper. And the most popular one might be uh, called Memory Man. So that, uh, that could be something if uh, any mm-hmm. guitar players want to look up to. It's, it's a great device, you know, if you're jamming at home, especially in isolation, and you want to play some blues or something, and you want to yep. play the solo along with that, then you just play the regular riff. You hit the pedal, and then you can play whatever else you want on top of it. And uh, you you can do multiple of those tracks. And I think that's that's his uh, that's his secret there. That's his secret. Um, it's fascinating to watch. Uh-huh. And his I background, bet. like as a performer, he takes over the stage on his own. You don't see that with a lot of single performers. He fills that entire stage with multiple soundtracks with multiple background it's all mm, i don't know what the word is i don't know it's all backdrops um and and bright and colorful and and you've got to look everywhere to encompass the whole stage you can't just stare at him you gotta watch Mm. the whole thing cool uh the one song that kind of jumped out at me was uh track number 14 i can't think i don't even think i can pronounce this baby yeah yeah okay so it totally reminded me of uh, Paul Simon's Graceland. Oh, I'm not familiar with that. I mean, oh, I've no. heard it, oh, but I, yeah. I couldn't it's compare the two. It's that very world music kind of feel, and uh, I like that one. Yeah. Um, probably so, the one I know the least. So if I was looking for my deep cut here, it saved myself. I don't know that I've ever heard that not, on the radio anywhere. The, the deep cut doesn't necessarily have to be a sort of what some of us might call a filler track. Like deep cuts to me are those tracks that, weren't singles, but like, yeah, that's an awesome song. And why aren't they playing that in concert? Ooh, I don't know. They did so many singles on this album. I don't even know then. Yeah. Well, if I was out to pick a deep cut, I would go with that. That How do you say it again? Biba, biba, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the <laughs> Or something like that. That's yeah, how that, I say it. 
What Do I Know, too, was another one that jumped out at me that I liked. So. Yeah. Galway Girl is probably my favorite to sing along to after a beer or two. Okay. So if somebody puts that on, I am definitely singing. Uh, Shape of You would be my go-to, my, my Friday night uh, party for one in my, uh, in my vault nightclub. Definitely Shape of You played. Well, well, there's no rules here on this podcast, so we're going to go with Galway. Uh, is it Galway Girl? Is that right? Galway Girl, yeah. Uh, we'll, go th- we'll go with that one as your deep cut there. All right. So, nice. uh, did we get one for Bowie? Oh, yeah, Criminal World. Yeah. 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 Criminal World, yeah. Okay, so have we, have we actually covered all these albums here? We We've covered all but the controversial album that you, yeah, asked, controversial which you wanted album. me to pick. Why well, is it controversial? Well, it's a greatest hits album, Clifton. And, and after being asked to choose my albums, then he checked the rule book. He was uncertain. <laughs> oh, we had a I double feel. album last time. Yes. We, I that, think we're setting the precedent that uh, whatever goes. There's no rules in pandemic. Is that what but, I'm hearing? But you will. Yeah. No, there is. Wash your hands and <laughs> stay at home. And, uh, but, physical but, uh, physical we'll, distance. We'll let other rules slide in, the, in yeah. this world of other rules, I guess. And, no, I... I don't know. It's, it's kind of funny because uh, I've started to create my list too, and I just might have a Greatest Hits album on there too. So oh. I'm <laughs> Excellent. I'm glad I've paved the way oh, for you to be last. Yes. breaker. But I also, oh yeah, you're talking. Uh, <laughs> I also like, um, I also like having the poll where I can get people to chime in and see what they think. So this is the poll. This, this episode is, is a Greatest Hits album allowed or is it not allowed in quarantine? So. Anyways. All right, well, uh, so you get back to me because uh, there's a few other greatest albums, uh, greatest hits albums that I like. This one, this is how I was introduced to Journey. I think that's probably why I would choose the greatest hits album. Right. I don't think I knew a lot about Journey before this album came out. I'm a little bit younger than some people in this podcast. <laughs> um, but I would say there wasn't a mixtape that I made or had given to me in middle or high school, it didn't have at least one of these on it. When I think about high school dances, when I think about, <laughs> like, that's what I think about. I think about Journey. And right before quarantine, I was in San Francisco with a colleague, and I had a chance to meet his kids. And his son, whose name is Grant, he did that noon hour concert for us, a cam that oh, I yeah. posted on LinkedIn. Yeah, I saw that. And we were out together, and we ended up all of us shopping at this store. For some reason, there was a piano in the back. And Grant wants to be a musician and he's super talented and he wanted this hoodie. And I took him to the back and said, if you play the piano, I bet your dad buys you that hoodie. And he said, well, if I'm playing, are you going to sing? So I actually got a little bucket list item. I got to perform. I got to perform Don't Stop Believing with the piano live accompaniment and uh, a duet partner at, uh, you know, for a bunch of people. It was super fun. It was terrible. (laughs) <laughs> but I had a really good time. Oddly enough, that part wasn't posted. I think I would have noticed that. I, that was pre, pre, yeah. pre-concert day. Um, okay. And then we then started a lunchtime concert series for our team. Before we moved remote, I wanted something to get our team sort of just feeling normal. And so Grant came and performed for us. We did, it was the first webcast uh, that we did. And we have another one coming up next week with oh, yeah. the chair of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. No, awesome. So, yeah, it's been interesting. But this this album, there's not a single song on it that I don't love. Well, it's the greatest hits. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> Ask me what else they sing. I don't even know. Yeah. 
funny, funny thing you mentioned high school dances. That's exactly, I'm listening to this. I'm like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, you know, grade eight or whatever kind of thing. And you pick a woman in her mid forties that doesn't have this album on yeah. her uh, hit list and they're lying. <laughs> uh, interesting uh, little backstory here on the one album. Uh, it's only on one or two tracks on this greatest hits, but one album, Randy Jackson, American Idol. Really? Is playing bass. Yes. Oh, uh, I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Steve Perry is no longer in the band. So I saw, I saw them play live with Steve Perry. Oh, and yeah. I've seen them play live twice without him. And the first time that I watched, and I can't think of the new lead singer's name. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't join. Anyhow, if you closed your eyes, you wouldn't know the difference in the first I've, concert I went to. I've heard that. However, in the last time I saw them, I saw them in Vegas and they did a residency show and we went and you could see him putting his own spin on the old songs. And you, but you could see people not liking it. Oh, it was an interesting reaction to look around because everybody in the audience more or less would have been sort of mid forties to mid late fifties. And you could see them trying to sing along. And when it changed, they all just kind of, you know, looked at each other. And so it was interesting to see something new happening there when you've seen a band a couple of times and you think you know how it's going to go. Right. His name is Arnel Pineda and he's a Filipino. Filipino. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if if you were just about to say this, but. I was. uh, Yeah, we read each other's minds. Go ahead. YouTube? Is that how they. Yeah. Yeah. They found him just singing these cover songs of journey on youtube and uh reached out to him and bada boom bada bing it's amazing Mm -hmm. how a tiny little he's tiny (laughs) how that kind of sound comes out of it yeah i don't understand how that sound comes out of him but he is a powerhouse i'm gonna have to look him up on youtube and and just check it oh he he's a fascinating individual and the the story of how he came to sort of be the the front of the band Okay. Well, the, okay. So now, Clifton, it's your this is your your segment here where you ask ask them to rate. So yes. So so you you've got your stock of albums here mm-hmm. now. It, what's how does your list go? So you, your stock, you got to put. Set list. The, are we, are we top list. to bottom or are we bottom top to top? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what what do you start with? I, you go with your favorite or do you go with your least? That oh, that's you up go to with you. Your least favorite. You go you go you go least to best. You save the best for last, in my opinion. Okay, so what is, how does that look like? All right, so if we do this, we're going to go, oh, I think for a minute. Uh, I think we go Bowie, Trainer, Journey, Ed, and ended up with Miles. Ended up with Miles. Oh. There you go. Interesting. You've done your running. Yeah. So you've got your bottle of whatever miles gets, is for drinking bourbon too yes yeah, there you go right <laughs> yeah interesting set list i admit yeah. cool okay so now comes the how comes the <laughs> now you the can laughing. ask comes the admission part uh I, I love this idea that we came up with um so it's it's your and now trevor kind of our last guest trevor said it kind of skirted the issue a little bit he he kind of came out with your his most disappointing album by which isn't really the intent uh, so it's it's supposed to be your most embarrassing 
album by. So you've got you've got a good. Oh, one. I've got a good one. Go ahead. So my most embarrassing album by is Weird Al Yankovic "Running with Scissors." <laughs> now I admit that I listened to this album a lot. Not only is it embarrassing that I bought it, but it's embarrassing how much I enjoyed it. <laughs> my kids got into it. No, I'm yeah, oh, the, I, I know. You can't imagine Evan ever, no. ever singing along to any of this. The yeah. Saga Begins is probably the one that got him into it. Yes. Um, I, I really to that. enjoyed it. I listened to The Saga Begins just for fun. And I really enjoyed it, which is not surprising. You know me. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was also, I was listening to the music as well. And there's some pretty good musicians on this. Great bass line um, on this. And I don't know, Clifton, do you know this song at all? Or what, what's the deal here? Uh, no, I don't know much about, no, Weird Al. He's out of my scope. Yeah. So, so Except for the Michael Jackson stuff that he did. Yes. Well, same idea though. So he, well, this was not really a parody. Oh no, I guess it is. It's yeah. to the tune of American Pie, the great, uh, Don McLean's song rated number two or three all time, I believe. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's so it's it's entirely to that song, but it tells the plot of the first Star Wars movie, the episode one, Clifton. Oh, <laughs> oh it's right? hysterical. So it, it's it's very very amusing. And I did read online too that he wrote it before the theater before the uh, film came out, and he was worried that the lyrics wouldn't match the plot because he kind of had a rough idea, I guess. And he begged George Lucas to let him see the movie and George Lucas wouldn't let him. So he had to spend a whack of money uh, to go to some charity pre-screening to see the movie. And he had to change one line of the song. To make it yeah. sense. Oh, well. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, this album. I mean, and Weird Al Yankovic is, is super funny. But yeah, it, uh, it gave us a lot of pleasure in our house when my kids were young. Uh, Anna, not so much, but Evan really enjoyed it. I'm sure. Or in I'm my mind, he did. You yes. should ask him next time you see I, him. I will. I'm shocked that Tanner has no, my son Tanner and, and uh, Tracy's son Evan were good friends, are good friends. And uh, I'm, I'm shocked that Tanner hasn't heard this. So. Well, let's uh, broaden his musical horizon then. That's on, on his weekend. That, yes. That's yeah. his new home. Oh, no, he's finished school. He doesn't have to homeschool anymore. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So there you go. <laughs> There's just a, a fantastic, very eclectic, if I could use your word, just a yeah. wide, wide. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to share some of that. There's a ton of music right now online, lots of concerts. Music brings people together. And I think that that's a, a huge piece that is going to keep a lot of people going right now. This was a great podcast idea. I appreciate uh -huh. you including me in it. And I look Thank forward you. to hearing everybody else's episodes yeah. as we go along. Awesome. No, you're, you're right. There was a lady on my Facebook that... Uh, her place of uh, work was shut down. They had to sh close the doors. And uh, the first thing that uh, she messaged was that I didn't realize how much I missed music. And so like all of her day scheduled for tomorrow is straight music. And uh, so, yeah, it, it does get us through these, uh, through these days. Yeah. Well, it's been, uh, it's been a, a fantastic uh, 40 minutes or so here, Tracy talking to you and, uh, I honestly, I've known you for a long, long time. I didn't know that uh, you were this much into this stuff. So it's uh, all right. Well, I'm glad that when you, uh, I'm glad I happened to see the tweet when you put it out there. Yeah. And I look forward to listening as the podcast uh, expands. Sounds awesome. great having you on. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much. Okay. Nice. Take care, everybody. Yeah. Bye -bye. She played the fiddle in an iron.
Irish band, but she fell in love with an Englishman. Kissed her on the neck and then I took her by the hands of baby, I just wanna dance. I met her on Grafton Street, right outside of the bar. She shared a cigarette with me while her brother played the guitar. She asked me, what does it mean? The Gaelic ink on your arm said it was one of my friend's songs. Do you want to drink on? She took Jamie.